There, how's that? Okay. I'll be reading from Hebrews 1, 1 through 7. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of glory and of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be my son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, <laughs> find my place here now, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Let us bow our head in prayer. Thank you, God, for Jesus. He died for our sins. He defeated death and rose again. He is our Savior, our hope, our humble leader with unlimited empathy. In his name, thank you. Thank you, Father God. Amen. Thank you, Jack. Well, during the 1990s and the early 2000s, the church went through a, an angel fad. Numerous books were written about that subject, including books like Angels, Ringing Assurance That We Are Not Alone by Billy Graham, or Under Angel's Wings, The Story of a Girl and Her Guardian Angel by Miriam Antonia, and an anonymous work called The Guardian Angels, Our Heavenly Companions. This fascination spilled over into a popular culture as well, uh, with much music and uh, television shows like Touched by an Angel, starring Roma Downey as an angel named Monica, or the show Highway to Heaven, which starred Michael Landon, who uh, played a man who had died and then went to heaven and became an angel on probation. And then we saw bumper stickers uh, with messages like, protected by angels, or I believe in angels, or never fly or uh, drive faster than your guardian angel can fly. And so this angel fad. Added to that were numerous figurines, necklaces, um, different Christian songs about angels. And so it seemed like everywhere you looked were angels. <laughs> 
Unfortunately, the lion's share of the theology that was set forward by those books and those media sources was poorly lacking in scriptural support. And so as we continue our series on the foundational triads, we are moving now into this series on angels and demons. And we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about these spiritual beings. And so this morning, we are going to be looking at these angels. And so, first of all, what are angels? I'd like to answer that question by first focusing on what they are not. First of all, angels are not infinite. They are finite beings. And God is the only infinite being. Angels have a beginning. They take up space. They are in time. And so they cannot be everywhere at once like God is. And so for us, God is here right now. He's across the town somewhere else. He's across the world. God is everywhere, but angels cannot be. In 1 Timothy 6.16, it says, He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And so God is the only infinite being. No beginning, no end, everywhere at once. The next thing we see that angels are not is they are not physical. In Hebrews 1.7, as Jack just read, it says, Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. And so angels are spiritual beings, although sometimes they appear as physical beings, meaning that they can take a physical form for our sake. And because they are spiritual, they are able to go in and out of the spiritual realm. That's why in scriptures you see angels appear and then suddenly they're gone. They disappear, right? That's because they went back into the spiritual realm. The next thing that angels are not is they are not people. Okay, there's a popular saying in culture, you're my angel, or uh, God needed my dad and so took him to heaven, now he's an angel in heaven. No, he's not an angel in heaven. Angels are separate beings, okay? We are people made in the image of God, and we continue to be so even in the heavenly realms, okay? Angels don't become people. They have always been angels, and they always will be. Also, angels are not your baby, okay? The baby that you lost in a miscarriage or some baby who died, they don't become angels in heaven. They stay as human beings, and perhaps they grow there in heaven and become adults in heaven, and so they are not angels in heaven. Also, they are not female. Many times we see in pop culture, angels depicted as female. But throughout the scriptures, the male pronoun is always attached to angels, although they probably don't have gender like we consider it with genitalia and these kinds of things. But in some way, they are presented as male. Also, we know that they are harp players. We see this in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 5.8, where there are elders and many around the throne. The angels are there. The elders fall down, and they throw their crowns before the throne, and the angels throw their harps before the throne of God there. And as I was studying for this particular message, I went back and I listened to some of the ancient harp music. You know, Some people had discovered these ancient harps, and they were playing them. And they sounded terrible. <laughs> they were awful. And I thought, man, I hope the angels aren't playing those things. But we have harps that sound a lot better here in our modern culture. 
and I'm sure the angels in heaven are playing even a better version of harps than we even have here. And in regard to angels liking Los Angeles baseball, we're not sure about that or not, but I don't even know if they're really happy about uh, the team being named after them, but we'll find out in heaven, right? What are angels then? First of all, angels are worshipers. We see this in Revelation 7.11. says, All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. And so first and foremost, they are worshipers. That's what they were created for. They were created to enjoy God. They were created to be before his throne, just like we were. We were created to be in awe of God, to worship him. Yeah, he's our father. Also, we see that angels are servants of God. They are his agents in regard to connecting with uh, the world and with society and with us. Okay? Now, God could do things, couldn't he, himself? In fact, God could come up here, Jesus could come down right now, and he could preach this sermon way better than I could preach it, right? But he doesn't do that. He uses agents. He sets his servants in place in order to carry forth his will. And so, they are servants of man. We see this in Hebrews 1.14, where it says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And so angels were sent to minister to you. They were sent to serve you in whatever way that takes place, whether they encourage you or protect you or surround you or whatever they do. Now, what are the types of angels? There are different types of angels. First of all, in Scripture, we see what are called archangels, okay? Archangels are the top angels in the hierarchy, and the first one we see, we actually know there, were, there are three that are named in Scripture, and there may be more, but I, I actually believe there are just the three. And the first of those is Michael. Michael is the archangel as the defender of Israel. We see him in Jude 1.9. Um, this is a little bit of an obscure passage, but it says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And so there's Michael, and they're fighting over the body of Moses for some reason, okay? And so Michael's there, and Satan is there, and they're battling it out, and Michael wins, and he gets to keep Moses' body, I guess. Okay, so that's one place where it's, uh, he's named. Revelation 12, 7, it says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels, notice the hierarchy, Michael's in charge and he's got angels under him, fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels, notice there's a hierarchy there as well, fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And then finally in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 it says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And so he's called a prince of heaven. He's one of the ruling angels. The next archangel we see named in Scripture is the archangel Gabriel. And Gabriel is in charge of the messages of God. We see this throughout Scripture. The first time we see it is in Daniel 8.16. Here it says, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, and it called Gabriel, Make this man understand the vision. Then jumping down to 9.21, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, notice he perceives him as a man, 
whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight, angels fly, and at that time of the evening sacrifice. Okay, and so here's Gabriel, and he's standing in the presence of God, and God gives him messages, and he goes out and he delivers those messages. We see this in a number of places in the New Testament as well. To Zechariah in Luke 1.19, it says, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. And so I picture Gabriel standing there beside the throne, waiting, and God has a message, he gives him the message, and then he goes forth and he delivers it to mankind. He's also the angel that uh, delivered the message to Mary in Luke 1.26. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee. And also we see later to Joseph, he speaks to Joseph. I actually believe it was Gabriel that um, warned the wise men to go back a different route instead of going back through where uh, they had gone to run into Herod. I believe it was Gabriel who probably came and told Mary and Joseph, hey, go down to Egypt. Herod's trying to kill all these children. Probably the one that spoke to Philip, go down to this place and you'll find the Ethiopian eunuch. And so throughout scripture, he's a messenger who brings these messages from God. The third archangel that we know of that's named in scripture is Lucifer. Lucifer was an archangel in heaven, and theologians believe that he was the archangel who was in charge of worship before the altar. Where they get this is from Ezekiel 28, verses 13 through 14. It says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. Cherub is another word for angel. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. That's uh, a picture of the altar, the stones before the mountain there. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. And so a guardian cherub in the front of the mountain of God, in the stones of fire there in the altar, and then unrighteousness was found in him, meaning pride had turned him away from God. And so that brings us to the fallen angels. What actually happened? Who are they? How do, how do things operate with them? We see them in Matthew 25, verse 41. It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, and so how did they fall? Jesus talks about this. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And so Jesus was there in heaven, still in his glorified state, and he saw Satan cast out, cast out of heaven. It talks about it in Revelation 12, 9, where it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Okay? And so, after his fall, he took a third of heaven, the heavenly angels with him. That's why I believe that there are three archangels, because he took a third, and I believe that Michael probably has a third, and Gabriel has a third. So these three major archangels that are named in Scripture there. 
2 Peter 2, 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. And so they are cast into gloomy darkness. I believe part of that casting into gloomy darkness is down to the earth. And so now they're chained to the earth. They cannot go up to their heavenly realm any longer. And they're very mad about that. And so now what has happened is they have turned their gaze upon mankind. You know, they know, the devil's smart. He knows that he can't make a direct assault against the throne of God. That's not going to work. And so what's the next best thing, right? Go after the kids. <laughs> Go after the ones that are made in the image of God. And so there's this anger that has happened now that they're cast into gloomy darkness. And we see this hierarchy um, there was a groundbreaking book by a man named Frank Peretti back in the 80s. And it was called This Present Darkness. And many of you have probably read that. Uh, at the time, it was earth-shattering because he wrote a fictional novel that basically uh, opened the eyes of the church at the time to the spiritual realm that was going on behind the scenes. And he was writing about these different angels and the battles that they would have over particular individuals and angels that were guarding churches and angels that were influencing politics and education. And I actually believe that's probably what kicked the fad off of the whole angel season that we had. But we do see this hierarchy, and he talks about it in his book, that there are ones that are in charge, kind of like captains and privates and this kind of thing. In Matthew 25, 41, it says, Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from you, cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so there again we see the hierarchy. There's the devil, and he has his angels that he's in charge over. And we see this in Ephesians 6, right? We do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the authorities in this dark place. And so when you're having an argument with somebody, if you're having a fight with them, especially in church here, right? Don't look at that individual, I don't like you, I'm going to battle you, right? There's a demonic force behind all of these things that are going on in our world that we're fighting against. There was a great saying in a marriage class that Mary and I took. Uh, the saying was, your spouse is not your enemy, <laughs> right? How many of you have wondered that sometimes? I'm battling my wife, I'm battling my husband. No, you're battling the enemy who's trying to divide you. And so anytime you see division in the church, begin to smell the sulfur, right? Because the devil wants to come and divide us. He knows a divided house cannot stand. And so what are the purposes? What, what is the main purpose of the devil and his demonic horde? We see it in John 8, 44. It says, you are the father of the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. And so, first of all, we know he's a murderer. He wants to kill everyone. All of you who are made in God's image, he wants to kill you. Through whatever means, addiction, drugs, you know, suicide, all of these things, he's behind that, pushing that, that uh, um, uh, process there. And so we see that he's also a liar. He's the father of lies. He can't tell the truth. Also in John 10.10, 10, a famous passage, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Those were his main purposes. 
to destroy mankind. In 1 Peter 5, 8, there's a warning. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so he's trying to devour us. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so there's this warning, right? Stand firm against the attacks of the devil. But it's hard sometimes, isn't it, when you can't see that there's an attack coming on. All you see is that person in front of you. All you see is that entity in front of you. But the Bible warns us there's something going on behind the scenes. One of the, the um, passages that I like the most in regard to this understanding of what the demonic forces are all about comes from the book Screwtape Letters. And uh, C.S. Lewis, Lewis writes a fictional story about a higher devil, a demon, who's instructing a lower demon, right? It's like a class on how to mess up humans' lives. And he's talking to his uh, little nephew in the demon world here, and he says, To us, a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours the increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense. We want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. Isn't that good? And so demons, they want to suck you in to their uh, area there. And this brings up the, the um, topic of idols, idolatry. Okay, When you see pagan worship, what's really going on there is that the statue is just the front. Right? There's something behind the pagan thing that they're worshiping, and it's a demonic force. How many of you have been in an Asian restaurant, right? You go into this Asian restaurant, Indian or whatever it might be, and there's a little kind of a uh, sacrifice area set up there. And there's like a little Buddha or Vishnu or something like that is set up. And they've got fruit and money and this kind of thing. You know what they're doing there is they're sacrificing to a demon so that the demon might bless their business. <laughs> right? That's what's taking place. And you know what's a, a crazy thing? It can happen. <laughs> The demons have power to do those kinds of things. They can grant power to people. In fact, in the, um, in the temptation of Christ, Jesus is arguing with the devil. The devil's trying to convince him to do things like worship him. And the devil says, I can give you all of this if you'll just bow down and worship me. He wasn't lying. Jesus didn't say, no, you can't. <laughs> no, he could. He could give it to all because he had authority over it. And so that whole sell your soul to the devil thing, that's a real thing. You can bargain with the devil. You can sell your soul to the devil. Not saying that the Lord can't redeem it back, but there are people that make bargains with the devil because the devil has real power. And he can do real things in this realm. Okay. But what about their destiny? What's going to happen to the devil and his demons after all of this is cleared up? Well, we see it in John 12, 31. It says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Well, wait a second, Pastor Scott. I thought you said he was already cast out. Well, yeah, he was cast out of heaven, but 
in the final judgment, he's also cast out of the earth, cast out of our lives forever. And that's the amazing thing about the new Jerusalem, the new earth, right? No devil, no demons, because unrighteousness cannot live there. And so that's something that we have very much to look forward to. In conclusion here, if an angel appeared right before us today, you would be compelled to fall down and worship it. And I know that because that's what everybody does in the Bible when they see an angel. They want to fall on their face and worship it. And then every time the angel says, no, get up, I am a servant as well. Right? Angels are there to serve. Just a story about uh, Gail Hoff, okay? Gail Hoff, uh, Pastor Herb Hoff's wife. If you've met her, she's super cool, great gal, uh, probably one of the most unassuming people that I've ever met, um, just humble, and this story I know is true because she's not the kind of person that would just tell stories like this. And so she was sitting in her house one day in Salinas, and David was there, and, and her other son Nathan, and they had some friends over. And at the time, Kirsten had been going through, through some difficulties um, in her teen years. And they were worrying about her, struggling with, you know, what she was going through. And they were praying and praying, you know, that the Lord would just step in. And as she was sitting there on the couch watching a movie with the boys, she looked over to their front door, which she could see from the couch. And there standing in the door, about eight foot tall, the full height of the door, was a huge angel with his back to her, standing looking out the door that way, with a huge sword drawn like this. And she looked at him for four or five seconds, and she looked back at the movie for a second and looked back, and he was gone. And what the Lord was speaking to her at that time was, I am protecting you. I am protecting your home. And the Lord did bring Kirsten back around. She's a strong Christian now. They go to actually their church down in Olympia area. And so angels appear. There was an angel, uh, a, a vision, or not a vision, of, this person saw a demon actually at Hope Lutheran where I uh, attended in Minneapolis. And there they, in Hope Lutheran they had these kind of awnings that went over um, like overhangs. And somebody during worship looked up and there was a demon that was sitting on that overhang, staring down at Pastor Brock. And just like, I'll get you, you know? I'm going to get you. And I believe that the Lord allowed that person to see that demon in order that the church might begin to pray, right? Pray for Pastor Brock. And in fact, right after that, a major kind of thing hit the church, which I won't go into. But I really believe that our prayers at that time in seeing that helped protect Pastor Brock through that time. And so they're real. Angels are real, <laughs> They're out there. Sometimes you'll actually um, have them unaware in your house. Did you know the Bible talks about that we can entertain angels unaware? There was a guy in, back in Salinas at our church uh, named Jim Fink. And Jim Fink, I really believe that God sent him to our church kind of as a test because he's a little bit different. You know, he's one of these guys. And, uh, you know, how are you going to handle Jim Fink? And so anyways, uh, Jim asked me for a ride to the, the bus one day. And I said, sure, I'll give him a ride. And I thought, I wonder if Jim is an angel, you know? And I thought, you know, I'm going to ask him directly because angels can't lie. So he has to tell me if he's an angel, right? 
And so I said, Jim, are you an angel? And he goes, huh, wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> Didn't answer me directly, so the jury's still out whether he's an angel or not. But you know this whole focus on angels, we can be so focused on them, but what we really should be focused on and impressed by is the message that they bring, right? That's with anything from God. You know, don't be impressed with the preacher, be impressed with the message. Don't be impressed with the messenger, but what he brings from God. And so that's the big focus that we have as we think about this in the foundation of angels and demons. And we're going to talk for the next two weeks about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth about idolatry. And so uh, a very important aspect of the doctrines that we should be believing in and understanding. And so, Father God, I thank you so much for this time and this uh, study in your word. Lord, help us to know about the spiritual realm, but not to be over-focused on it, Lord, but to um, understand it better, Lord, that we might pray and recognize the spiritual battle that's taking place. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.